0: Welcome to the podcast of Motorweek, Television's original automotive magazine. Motorweek is made possible by tirerack.com, rockauto.com and state farm. Here's
1: your Motorweek podcast
0: host, John Davis.
1: Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to Motorweek podcast number 215 in Studio C at Motorweek World headquarters. And I'm pleased to be joined today with Road Test, Road Test producer Ben Davis. Hey, guys. No relation. Online content coordinator Greg
2: Carlos. That's me. Although I just realized I'm not online content. Coordinator no, you anymore. you actually I'm have a different Moving up title. in the world, yeah. What are you now? Uh, I guess I'm technically the feature reporter. I don't you know are if what's the exact title, but you know. uh,
1: I would say you're over the edge reporter. That's what at, it is. Coming in edge. after Zach, so edgy. Uh, so congratulations. that's why I've turned my
2: hat backwards because I'm now the over the edge reporter.
1: <laughs> Speaking of reporters, who's already well situated in her position, FYI, reporter Stephanie Hart joins us today.
3: Hi, thanks for having you're me.
1: Very lovely to be here. It's not often we. Uh, have Stephanie off the road and in the studio, so let's get to it. And We've actually got a um, one of the things we're going to talk about up top will be a recent segment that Stephanie did. But we're going to start actually with me, uh, the car that is probably the most talked about car of the year so far, the 2020 Chevrolet Corvette, the first rear mid-mounted engine uh, Corvette. Uh, everybody knows the details six point two liter v eight four hundred and ninety five horsepower zero to sixty under three seconds uh, with uh, the z fifty one package eight speed dual clutch transition, starting price sixty grand. However, I've now had a chance to drive it. As part of the North American Car of the Year jury, uh, a couple weeks ago, I and about 30 or 40 others uh, got to spend time in the car. It was a very controlled drive up in Michigan. We had engineers with us. We weren't on a track, just on the streets, but some very good streets. And um, my first impression before I open it up, when you get in any mid-engine car and you start it up, the first thing you expect to hear is the engine rumbling away about six inches behind your head, and the Corvette? It was as silent as any other well-done passenger car that you can think of. Mm. Uh, when you're idling, you don't—you barely know the engine is running. It—I uh, was amazed at how quiet the car was, both there and also when you put it in gear and we're doing reasonable driving in their standard drive modes. Uh, When you did punch it up to um, the sport and the track modes, the exhaust wakes up, the engine wakes up, everything wakes up, steering wakes up, and the car sounds like the supercar that it's trying to be. The other thing, uh, and this apparently has sparked a little bit of controversy, what I liked about it is most of the times when – the old Corvettes, when you got in them, you had lots of hood in front of you and you really didn't know where the front was. And most mid-engine cars that we get a chance to drive, be it from Lamborghini or Ferrari or or McLaren, you sit – laid back a little bit and you're looking at a bit of sky and you see a little bit of the hood and you also don't really know where the front end is. Well, the Corvette, you don't know where the front end is either, but it slopes away from the driver so quickly that you literally, all you see is the road right below the cowl. And I haven't had that experience since a Di Tommaso Pantera back in the uh, early 70s. Some of the magazines, notably um, Car and Driver, actually complained about that. They, uh, they actually felt like that it was worse than a front-engine Corvette. I don't agree. I did think the rear visibility was surprisingly good for a mid-engine car. The cockpit, it's the wrap around with the arm that comes down the center from the instrument panel to the console. That's where all your heating and air conditioning uh, equipment is. I do think the passenger will feel a little left out of everything because the screen is also... Angled, not sort of angled towards the driver, but it's certainly uh, more in the driver's purview. But plenty of uh, redundant manual switchgear all around, as well as a touchscreen, uh, digital gauges that change depending on what uh, drive mode you're in. The car itself on the roads we were on easily could handle everything we had a chance to to uh, put it through. Uh, the corners were tight, and sweeping. It was like it didn't really seem to matter, and but, the, you know, the C7 did that as well. So a, everything that we were able to deduce at that time is that the car is going to live up to its hype. I think it's going to take some real track performance to figure out whether or not it's quite as good as they say. But lightweight feeling, you cannot imagine, having owned a couple of Corvettes and spent a lot of time in them, the difference in steering feel. You get in it, and it's like, the lightness of the front end without that, that big hulking v8 sitting up there is pretty amazing. so the other thing that's amazing is how quickly the price can shoot up. They gave us the Monronies for the cars we were driving, which were well equipped but not over the top and they uh, they weren't sixty they were ninety so um, you know if you're going to lo- put anything on it it's going to go up pretty fast. The car I drove did have the magnetic uh, suspension on it too, which the sixty thousand dollar car does not. So with that, and you've read um, since I got back some of the other reports that have been out about the car. Anybody got any other comments about either what you think or what someone else has said?
2: Yeah, I mean, before I get into things I've heard and, and at mm-hmm. least you know, I've had a chance to see the car, you uh, you just said that the supercar it's trying to be. I don't know if it was intentional. Or yeah, it you, was. Because I, it, but my, my question I, is, like, is it a supercar? I mean, by all... Accounts of its performance on paper, I'd say yes. In supercar territory, I'd say yes.
1: I'd say, you know, the only thing that separates it from uh, an entry level supercar is the price. I mean, because the these days the least expensive exotic that we get in here is what one fifty. You know, somewhere between one twenty five and one fifty, and that's very few of those. So it's easily. Comparable to anything I can think of under two hundred thousand dollars, uh even if you load it up, you're going to be probably about half that price, so yeah, I did say that on purpose because I think that's their aim uh I personally, having driven it as limited as I did um and with somebody watching over us, I think it's there yeah,
2: comparison to i mean naturally people want to compare it to an n s x Mostly because it's of the of the styling, but again, we've said it before, it's a mid-engine car. It's going to have similar proportions to other mid-engine right. cars. You can't get away from that. But the, the NSX uh, was really built as the supercar for the street. So is this – it sounds to me like you're this saying – This is the,
1: more of a perf- – I put the NSX in a little bit of a special category. To me – it's an extraordinarily high-tech supercar, which quickly is probably being eclipsed by some some of the newer efforts. So it, in the, when I drive an NSX, I think it is a supercar. It's got the performance and the handling. But it also is a car where you feel like the computers are driving it somewhat more than you do. I did not feel like the computers were intervening in the limited time that I had in the Corvette. So I felt like it was a little more of a performance-oriented supercar rather than just a technology-oriented supercar like I think the, the NSX is. Uh, so they're comparable, certainly, in a lot of ways, especially acceleration and handling. But I think the, um, dare I say, I think the Corvette maybe is a little bit more of a driver's car.
2: But I'm sure they'd yeah. like to hear that. It's probably yeah. the way it should be. I mean – it, That's not taking anything away from the NSX. I think the, it's an impressive vehicle. Right, considering they're sticking with it's still a pushrod, yeah, mid, midship. I mean, it has to have some of that raw American sound to it, and, and when all you that good
1: stuff. Uh, flip up the uh, the drive modes properly, uh, it's uh, it sounds like you know you're cruising on a Saturday night with glass packs. <laughs> glass packs, yeah. Anybody else? Well. I it's going to be a while before we get a chance to actually put uh, a Corvette through its paces but I think everybody on the staff is looking forward to it. It certainly is the most talked about car of the year. However, I will say at this event the other performance car that was awfully impressive and it we've almost forgotten it because we tested it so long ago was the Supra. Oh yeah. It it was it was it is an amazing automobile for its price.
2: Yeah, you know that one gets lost yeah. in the argument of it being a Z4 and I can't even say that it's it definitely feels like a BMW yeah. inside. But I mean you you got to drive this thing. It's it's a it's sh, that should not count against how good of a car it is to drive, because it is really a good car to drive. I actually hammered it around some of the corners, um, and we use roads uh,
1: sort of uh, west of Detroit that are quite sweeping. Uh, I was up at speed at that car, I think even a little bit more than the Corvette, because I was by myself. Very impressed with with the Supra, so um, it should not be overlooked. It's certainly been a highlight of the new vehicles this year. Speaking of vehicles, speaking of Loading vehicles. Stephanie Hart, you just had an experience that an awful lot of people would like to take. And you're one of your upcoming FYI segments. Tell us about what you just came back from.
3: Well, we took the auto train from Lorton, Virginia to Sanford, Florida. We loaded on one of our MotorWeek long-term cars, the Mitsubishi Outlander, and um, we uh, experienced that 14-hour auto train trip Mm -hmm. from Virginia to Florida.
1: And that's something an awful lot of folks do on the East Coast, especially during the wintertime.
3: Yeah, it's extremely popular with snowbirds. There were also families on the train, too, a bunch of kids as well that we interviewed. So it was a good experience overall. There's a lot of pros. There's a lot of cons.
1: Um, (laughs) Tell us about the the, – a lot of people are wondering about how much – how much trouble it is to to get on the train, to have them take your car? Are you worried about your car? Did you have any inhibitions, or did it go smoothly or what?
3: Yeah, it was a pretty smooth process. Um, you have to check in by 2.30, mm-hmm. and then the train leaves around 4. But if everyone's checked in early, the train can leave as early as 3.30. Mm-hmm. So the train we were on, I believe, left around like 3.45.
1: And you, luckily, were in one of the— yeah, full bedrooms, I guess.
3: We were in uh, the sleeper car. The
1: they upstairs or downstairs?
3: Or? Um, they could have been downstairs or upstairs. Mm-hmm. My room was upstairs. I had sort of a mid-level sleeper room, mm-hmm. so I wasn't the VIP sleeper. I was sort of middle right. of the road, and then a lower level would be just a regular coach seat. Um, so the sleeper I was in had a bunk bed and then a, a bottom bed. Mm-hmm. So it was set up like bunk beds So for
1: two people or a small family or whatever. Um,
3: it could fit two people, right. but I mean, it's, it's extremely tight. It's very small in there and there is no bathroom in there. There's no shower in there. You have to use the public facilities, mm. um, in the train.
1: What was the most, give us a high point at one high point, and maybe one low point of the, of the trip.
3: Um, the high point was definitely the food quality. Mm. Dinner was delicious. Um, one night I had salmon. That was very good. The other night I had a steak.
1: Because you came back.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. We did the round trip. Um, and then they had dessert. <laughs> I had a chocolate caramel lava cake and they put whipped cream right on it. It sort of felt like a cruise Signed or something. Right. Yeah. So the food was really good. So even though you were trapped in small quarters, yeah. there, you know, the food really did make up for it. And then one of the downsides, um, when I was sleeping in my room, you know, there were points in the trip where the tracks were uneven or it was a rough surface. So it did wake me up.
1: Good old East Coast railroad
3: tracks. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, the tracks. And for those people that don't live on the East Coast, I should know that all of the tracks out here are actually owned by the freight lines and and not Amtrak. So they tend to be just fine when they're carrying grain, but not so good when they're carrying -hmm. people. Would you do it again?
3: I would do it again if I was a snowbird or staying in Florida for a long period of time. I think for just a quick weekend trip, it possibly wouldn't work because you aren't able to make up your sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite honestly, the first night I took it, I only slept about four hours. So I, I wasn't really able to catch up on my sleep.
1: I gathered everybody was very cordial on the train and you um, met a lot of other people, I assume.
3: One of the best parts, every the camaraderie between the passengers – all the passengers were so friendly, and I really enjoyed chatting with everyone and hearing their stories um, during dinner and just sort of in the lounge car. A lot of people playing games and listening to music, watching movies. So I really loved the passengers on the train, uh, both, both going there and coming back. So that How was great. getting your car off? Did it take a long time? No, not really. Mm, no, they, they told me the most we'd have to wait would be maybe an hour, hour and 20.
1: That's not too bad.
3: So I think we waited maybe a half hour Ah. It was a quick process. Sounds
1: like a fun trip. Yeah. Can't it wait was. to see, it, see the video. Oh,
3: yeah. So, John, that story is airing uh, nationally, November 22nd. There the story go. on you the auto it, train.
1: You heard it from here first. Thanks, Stephanie. Sure. Um, we're going to move on now to our lightning round where we've uh, each got sort of a 30-second window to give our uh, comments on a trending automotive topic. Now, as we are recording this, and yes, it is not live, If you, just in case you thought it might be, uh, General Motors and the United Auto Workers have reached a tentative agreement that would end the longest GM strike since 1970, actually the longest automotive strike. Uh, the strike began on September 16th, and since then, Bank of America analysts have estimated GM has lost more than $2 billion. On top of that, production of the new Corvette could be delayed. How big a role do you think the Corvette played in negotiations and uh, will have any effect on C8 sales or availability? Anybody Ooh, have an idea? That opinion? is
2: a tasty question. Yeah. Take a bite out of it, Benny.
1: <laughs> we haven't heard from you I much this I podcast. <laughs>
4: well, I mean, I was honestly, I heard that question, and I wanted to know the answer myself. I could only speculate that the, the uh, C8 Corvette had a great deal to do with uh, with uh, settlement negotiations.
1: But mm. I think you know, you're probably. Well, I, I, I think it had a factor.
4: It had I'm looking to. forward to a smarter guy like yeah. you to tell me actually what's going on here. Well, no. I mean, is, yeah, it, yeah, is, it,
2: is it is it naive to think that? it was just a coincidence or poor timing on GM's part to have this negotiation?
1: Well, it's not their choice. The yeah, UAW, I mean, UAW picks it like, strike And target. it was the
2: UAW's thought in mind to say, hey, you got a Corvette coming out. And, and GM <laughs> is the most profitable domestic automaker. They went where the money was. Yeah, so I guess if, to answer that question, yeah, it, it, it had an effect. I mean, it, there was obvious reasons on the uh, – behalf of the UAW um will it affect sales I mean maybe very if it does end up pushing back the uh, production which it it very well could probably did did I mean maybe a little bit but you know if you want one you're gonna wait for it anyway I personally think that while the Corvette could possibly have
1: had an an impact, because after all, you're launching this vehicle and you want to launch it at a a good time. You don't want to be delayed and you don't want the dealers and and the people have already put down money to be complaining about it not being delivered. You also have to look at their broader portfolio. Where do they make all that money that the UAW wants to slice up? They make it on pickup trucks. And right now, they're already hurting from the fact that they've lost the second-place role to RAM, which they claim they're going to get back with the new HD, and once RAM stops making the uh, carryover classic model. I think pushing the... Silverado sales back is where they really lost their money. And I think that's the cash cow that they were afraid of damaging most. The uh, early reports make it sound like that the union got some of what they wanted. It sounds like that, you know, GM will probably end up getting some of what they wanted. But uh, it clearly was a a strike that was not just hurting GM, but it was hurting the national economy as a whole. You look like you wanted to say something. But did you, um, Stephanie, you were a general assignment reporter before you mm-hmm. met us. So if you had been out and about, what do you think people would have thought about how long the strike went on? If I can ask you to kind of guess at that.
3: Um, I don't know. As term, in terms of production, though, I think it's sort of too early to speculate if it's going to delay production. Um, They'll probably point.
1: make that back.
3: Yeah, probably, but maybe customers will get a little frustrated. Um, it may damage um, sort of the brand identity in a small way.
1: And um, it could evoke uh, uh, images of maybe if the uh, UAW members are not really happy, maybe the vehicles won't come off the line quite like they should. I mean, who knows?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm glad they've settled it. I think it's good for the, for the country, and I think it, uh, it's good that the, uh, the politicians kind of got a little bit involved to kind of spur this along. Gladys everyone. Yeah, I
2: mean, as we mentioned, yeah. it was a long one. Yeah. Longest since 1970.
1: Parts were uh, parts for repairs were a big problem. A lot of current owners were sitting there saying, you know, where I can't get my car fixed. It'd be yeah.
2: nice if the UAW came at GM and was like, All right, part of the deal is you have to stop airing those commercials with that smug guy. <laughs> you mean and, the Chevy commercial? Yeah, the Chevy commercials <laughs> where the uh, they're like, Whoa, I've never seen a car before. I mean, that's a Chevy
1: uh, what did somebody label them? Uh, you know, you just wonder, are those people actors? At it's all? No, but it
2: says not actors. It John. says not it's actors. So, right? I mean, everything yeah. is true. But I've read the, a couple uh,
1: of places people have been charging them that they're uh, they're kind of faux in what they're kind of doing. But well, maybe I mean, sure.
4: they'd have to have a SAG card to be in a national commercial, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, let's move on. Stephanie, hit the bell. All right, all right. now our viewer question. This is from Marcus. I've noticed that more and more cars that you test on MotorWeek are starting to offer a rear-view camera. And what they're talking about is the rear-view mirror, I assume, Ah. uh, that looks out the back while driving forward.
4: Fantastic.
1: Taking the place of the traditional rear-view mirror. Yes, there you go, Marcus. What are your thoughts on these? Will they replace mirrors in the future? What's your thoughts? I
4: I have a lot to say on this. Because I was a very early adopter, only because at the same time I was transitioning into bifocals. Which, if you've ever done that, or you will eventually probably, it takes a while to get used to it. My eye doctor kept saying, hey, it's all in your head, it's electrical connection in the brain, just give it a couple of weeks, it'll be fine. So I'm thinking the same thing with this rear view mirror. And sure enough, you know, day three, I couldn't live without it, but, but right away, I tried it, I had some depth perception issues with it. Uh, right away, but y- just muscle through it. You'll get used to it. And even as their um, uh, changes are being made to them, versus the one I tried, now you can adjust the angle of the camera a little bit and uh, and get the optimal angle that you. And that helps get used to it quicker. But I don't care who you are; it's going to be weird the first time you do it, and it's going to be
2: weird for a couple of
4: days. But soon
2: after, you're going to love it. I don't see. I don't have your willpower. I can't get through (laughs) that initial. It really. I don't know if it's the lack of visual cues of seeing maybe no no headrest there that got me, or if it's an actual visual thing that it makes my eyes like I almost I can't focus on anything. So my question to you is why is it for the reason I just said is it because you don't have any obstructions? Does that make it better for you or?
4: the
2: fact that you don't have to worry about adjusting it all the time (laughs) i'd say the obstructions are huge
1: especially in suvs you don't have you don't have a back window that limits you left and right headrests 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 are so
4: big and d pillars are so wide exactly i just like to see multiple lanes without you know quick look at that quick look at my sides and i'm good
2: would you prefer a mirror at night or would you, is the camera? Because I know, like, in the, I've, and the yeah. ones that I've used, it it, it gets a little <laughs> bit worse at night just because of the, the way cameras inherently act with low you light. You know what situations. drives me crazy,
4: which drives in television production, it drives us crazy equally as well. Um, the LED lights, the, if you don't get the shutter just right, you get that flicker effect. Right. And I found that you get that in the rear view camera as well. But I, I had no problems with it at night, but. Um, I have general problems at night with mirrors anyway, and I, this was just as as bad as any other mirror I'd ever looked at to, to me at nighttime.
1: Stephanie, anything to add?
3: Um, I tried them once or twice. I didn't really like them at did first. You, I got confused, and it, it was hard to look at. And I, I felt like less confident driving the vehicle with that. But possibly if I kept yeah. driving a vehicle that had that technology, I might get used to it. I don't know. But the first couple of times, I really didn't feel confident behind the wheel using that.
1: I agree with you now. M- mind you, my time is relatively limited in cars that have it. and Then they go away. Then you get something else that's got it. And you've got to start all over again. I found, and I have bifocals, that I had problems seeing as sharp. And the image is as sharp in the mirror as I did in the camera mirror, as they did just in the the mirror. But it is the future. I mean, they're going to pretty much do away with outside mirrors, inside mirrors, mm-hmm. and everything's going to yep. be on a monitor. So this mm-hmm. is the future. Marcus, that was answering your other question. Let me something Go real ahead.
4: fast about the nighttime mm-hmm. thing. If it was a uh, night vision camera type situation where it's just high contrast, like light grays and blacks, then I would be I would drive all the time just just to just have night. That. that would be the night that would, would make it the nighttime for me uh, and it's the quick glance that throws you off the most. once you yeah. can look at yeah. it yeah. You're right and, right. And, and adapt to it then you're good to go.
1: And it is all in your head.
3: Maybe so. they just need to tweak the software so the software is clearer and uh, easier, easier for us to sort of uh, decipher through.
1: I think it would be really weird to be in a minivan with a mirror like that and look back and not see the kids in the back seat.
3: <laughs> really i think spend? so yeah, would you always, yeah maybe you that would one of those be little conversation very
2: weird mirrors. yeah so you yeah. could have yeah. just another camera yeah. you could just switch to you just flick it <laughs> yeah that's him. true
3: that's true
1: okay thanks everybody uh anyone got a rant or a rave that they want to throw out there for this show and mm. the silence drops all around the table <laughs> Yeah. Uh, nobody uh, particularly It's bothering not a rant or a rave.
2: Do you have something that sounds no, like you're going to say something? No, I was just, just going to make one up because everybody else was just oh. not doing it. No dead air here, <laughs> please. I haven't seen the fall
4: collector car shows like Hershey and yeah. Carlisle and such and seen auction results. It's not a rant or a rave, but a, just, just an observation that um, the older collector cars, like Model Ts and stuff, nobody wants them anymore. I've
1: heard that, too.
4: Everybody that wants them is dead, so... Those cars are Is just, that sad. Up. <laughs> Why?
1: it's really sad.
4: They're going to carry on with inherited people or, well, or they're, they're just going to get, I w- nobody see, wants
2: them. You're somebody who, if you had the means would probably collect a few cars. I mean, would it, you wouldn't want one if you had the money.
4: No, I wouldn't want one either. That,
2: I mean, that, and that's who's buying cars right now, right? Is Or yeah. at least going to auctions. I mean, probably a little older than you still, but your your demographic is, like, really starting to hit the scene now. Because starting if you worked anywhere cars. else,
4: you might have but, some enough money to do it. But, but I would want a C4 Corvette, and nobody wants to pay any money for those either. Really? I think now's the time to grab Gosh, those. Gosh, now's the
1: time, good time to grab that. Yeah, yeah. but I've,
2: I've had – and I – we've we've definitely seen that we've talked about it but I've talked to other journalists who just like and I don't I've actually never driven a C4 I'd, I'd love to if somebody wants to offer theirs up to me but uh, yeah there's a lot of journalists who just are always just Really talking poorly about C fours and it's starting to sour my opinion, even well, though I've never driven in one. Back the
1: day, I mean, they, they rattled and they squeaked, and the body panels didn't fit very well. But just and to all look that. At, but I the look at mean, I like the, the, way the it. car was great to look at. And if you really look back at what the car, how the car performed, it performed pretty darn well. So um, you know, I think I wonder if they. you know, Hindsight's tough because it's about like cars a, today are so good compared to what
4: they were. It's about like a GT R. <laughs> The Scott <laughs> Nissan.
1: I, we've said that before that a lot of people make a lot of excuses for the GTR, and it makes a lot more noises and creaks and rattles than an old Corvette. So.
2: And it doesn't smell like gas. Either. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I think All that's, right. Uh, that's supposed to. <laughs> we're
1: groping here, so we're going to basically wrap this up. Thanks wrap very up, much be. to our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast uh, producer, Greg Carlos, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and to Ben, Greg, and Stephanie sitting at the table see see greg you get two hits every show every time to all of you out there thanks very much for being a part of our motor week family and watching us on public television stations around the country and also on the motor trend cable network if you can't find us that means you're not trying very hard but you can go on over to youtube uh, slash motor week we've got hundreds and hundreds of our road tests and other features uh, all sitting there on youtube Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us at MotorWeek, thanks for being a part of our MotorWeek family.
0: You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org and watch MotorWeek television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.